Somebody told me, they're like, you're from California? I said, unfortunately. But I moved here. I moved here in 1992, and I was making 4.25 an hour. So I promise you, I did not make the housing prices go up at all. So this morning, uh, anyway, so if I'm hacking or doing whatever, drinking water, cough drops, you're just going to, I'm going to violate every speaking rule that there is today. <clears throat> There's one. All right. So, in continuing with, with the theme that Scott's been doing, we're going to talk about friends today, our supernatural friends. In this particular taste, we're going to talk about God and Abraham, known as ultimate friends. So, I looked up the Hebrew word for friend right off the bat, and you'll see it written there on the screen. So, no matter what, you won't go away empty-handed today. So, go ahead and take copious notes, if you would. And let's start with Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. I didn't think this through about holding the mic and reading at the same time. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And the people on earth will be blessed through you. I love that passage for several reasons. What did God, what did Abraham do before God showed up and spoke to him? What was his faith like? He didn't have one. He was a total non-believing pagan just like anybody else from the world of Haran, basically. He was from Babylon, from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was a Babylonian long before the Babylonians came and took Israel out of their homeland. But that's where his people came from. You have to remember, there was no Jewish nation. God chose this guy and sends him over here and says, you're going to be the Jewish nation now. I mean, out of the middle of nowhere. So Abraham gets a promise from the Lord right off the bat. Abraham has done nothing. And he promises him a son. He promises an entire new nation. He promises him a bunch of land. And then he says, all nations or all the world is going to be blessed through you because he's speaking about the Christ that's going to come through Abraham's bloodline at that moment. And Abraham has no idea. The whole Jewish people, even later, have no idea about Christ. So all of this God promises to Abraham right off the bat, and Abraham has done nothing. It reminds me of the thief on the cross who says, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That guy had done nothing. He didn't hand out any Bible tracts. He didn't go to church. He didn't go to Bible study. He wasn't baptized. He didn't do nothing. And he got to go be with the Lord. You know that's how God does business, right? He comes to you. He comes to me. He doesn't wait for us to get our act together and then get our story straight and then come before him. He came out of the, the heavens and came to Abraham and said, this is what I'm going to do for you. Our God is just exactly like that. Now, Abraham was 75 years old when this happened, right? 75. I know some of you are thinking you're near the end of your life. I just want you to know Abraham was just getting rocking and rolling at 75. So you got some time. So 11 years goes by, and he still doesn't have a child, even though God had said, you're going to have an offspring. 
and we're going to have a whole nation because of you. So at 86, his wife, Sarai, gets an idea and says, I tell you what, why don't you go sleep with Hagar, the maidservant, and uh, get her pregnant, and we'll start the family line through that. Have you ever tried to do things your way? You know that God wants you to do it this, but you put your little twist on it and say, I've got a better plan. I think I know how this is going to pan out. It didn't pan out. So Abraham sleeps with Hagar. Ishmael's born. And God says, that's all good and well, but that's not what I wanted you to do. And that's not my, he didn't say it wasn't my plan necessarily, but I'm telling you it wasn't his plan. He had planned to have his wife, who was already 10 years, well, she's 10 years younger than Abraham, so he's 75, she's 65. Well, now he's 86. She's um, 76, and they still don't have a baby, and so that's why she did this. But the Ishmaelites are born, and it says that they will be in constant hostility toward their brothers. Do you know that that one decision to do that has caused all of the Palestinian problems that we have to this day because of that instance right there? All of the eastern peoples came from that bloodline of Ishmael right then and there, and the Israelites were over here. I heard a comedian not too long ago. He says, you know, they've been throwing rocks at each other for 2,000 years. You'd think they'd have run out of rocks by now, but apparently they haven't. So Abraham was 99 before God's promise comes about. Have you ever noticed that God is always late? (laughs) Or is that just me? He always comes through. But doggone it, it's always at the 11th hour. Every time. Sometimes it's longer than that. When the Israelites were crossing the Red Sea, the the Red Sea parted right before they got to it. But the second time when they come back to take the promised land and they're crossing the Jordan River, it says the water didn't part until the priest's feet touched the water. Then the waters parted. I'm like, man, that's the 12th hour. That's not even the 11th. He's like, I'm going to wait till your feet get wet and then I'm going to do it. I I can't tell you how many times I've thrown in the towel and God hands me a new towel and says, now I'm ready. I'm like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know that was an option. So at 99, God comes back down to Abraham and says, I said through Sarah, you're going to get pregnant and you're going to have a baby this way. And that's when they decided to have everybody circumcised. I don't know about you. I wouldn't want to be circumcised now, let alone at 99. I don't know. Maybe, never mind. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Chad. <laughs> God changes Abram's Abram's name at that time. It was Abram, which means exalted father. He changes it to Abraham, which is father of multitudes. Why does God do that? Why does he change a name? He changes Sarai's name, too, to Sarah. Sarah actually means princess, which I thought was kind of cool. I didn't know that until I was doing this message. And I thought, why does he do that? He does that because he wants Abraham to live up to who he truly is, not to who he thinks he is. You and I are here right now, and we have names, and we have our little spot in the world, but I don't think we have any clue as to what it is that God is really doing with our lives and our legacy and our heritage and how we fit into this tapestry. We're going to find out eventually when we get to heaven, but right now you're just getting a sample. And God and Jesus do this throughout the Scriptures. Jacob's name was changed to Israel because, he remember, he wrestles with the angels and he says, you've struggled with man and with God and you have overcome. Now, you've got to know that if you're going to wrestle God, you're going to lose. He's kind of being a good dad. He let him win. That's how that went down. But he changed his name to Israel. 
because he says, You're, you might have been born Jacob, but I see this in the heavens. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's way more going on in the spiritual realm than what's happening here in the physical realm. The spiritual realm was been around for millennia before the earth and you and I were ever created. And after this life is done, the spiritual realm is going to continue for all of time. There is way more going on in the spiritual world than what we're experiencing here. And we need to know that and remember that. Simon was renamed Peter, or rock, the first right out of the gate. He says, hey, I'm Simon. He goes, no, you're not. You're the rock. You're going to be the pillar of my church. You see how God can see the whole thing? God sees the big picture. It's almost like you're, you're watching a parade, except for God's on the corner. And so he can see the start of it. He can see it bending around the corner, and he can see the end too. And so he says, no, this is who you are. I got the whole thing all lined out. You just think you were born Simon. You just think you're a fisherman. And you are, but that's just a little snippet. It has nothing to do with the kingdom that I have planned for you. Now, there's another person in the scripture called Dorcas who says her name was also Tabitha. I think I'd go by Tabitha as well. God didn't change that name. She just said she had two options. I would choose option B. <clears throat> Did you know that our names are going to be changed too? Go to Revelation 2.17. It says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who's victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Have you ever heard that song? There's a new name. I'm not even going to attempt to sing. Written down in glory. You know you're going to get a new name? Do you know that your real name is already written on a stone in heaven? It's already there. Your true self, who you truly are, where you truly fit into the spiritual realm, is written on a stone etched in heaven right now. Wouldn't it be great to discover that now, right? And some of us do. Sometimes you get a little glimmer. And all of us right now are little glimmers of what we're going to be in glory. But we're not there yet. Back to God's friend. I'm still in Genesis chapter 17. He says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, right, which is us, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I find it interesting that God made a covenant with Abraham and he gave him the sign of circumcision as proof of the treaty. Now, the law of Moses didn't come about until four or five hundred years later where circumcision was put in place. But as a sign of that covenant with Abraham, just like he gave Noah the sign of the rainbow, he says, this is going to be your outward sign that you and I have a compact. We have a treaty. We have a covenant between this. Who initiated this contract? Who initiated the contract? It was God. Another word that you might find for contract or covenant is testament. You ever heard of the Old Testament and the New Testament? Guess who initiated the new contract or the New Testament or the new covenant? That also is God through Jesus Christ. I love that. We have a new contract. And thankfully, because there was a lot of stuff you had to do in the Old Testament, I will take the New Testament by faith in Jesus Christ and his blood by far more. Because he says, you need to believe in me. There's the contract. 
except for now, you don't have the outward sign of circumcision. You have an inward sign of circumcision on your heart. That's what demonstrates that you're a follower of Christ, is if your heart has been cut, just like their flesh was cut in the past, now their heart on the inside has been cut, and they look different. You and I should look different if we're in a contract with Almighty God. We should look different. There's a couple scriptures um, where other people reference Abraham as being a friend of God. Second Chronicles 27 is one of them. He says, Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? I love that. That writer just chose to use that word. I didn't see it in Genesis where God actually calls Abraham his friend. There are other people who are looking at the story and they say, that's a friend of God. From Isaiah 41.8, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, remember those are one and the same, whom I've chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. Love that. So are we the descendants of Abraham then? Are we the chosen descendants of Abraham? Because, you know, we tend to think of this bloodline that God said that he would create through Abraham and that your bloodline would continue and you'd be the chosen people and descendants after you are going to be your God and my God and they're going to worship me. That's what he said. That was part of the covenant right on the front end. Do we need to be Abraham's descendants in order to be God's friends? Do we have to be descended from Abraham? Yes, we do but not through a bloodline. It's not an ethnic thing. It has nothing to do with that. Look at Galatians 3, 7. It says, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. When God made that promise to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless the nations through you, it's going to be through faith in Christ. Even though Abraham didn't know what Christ was, he was putting his faith in God Almighty, and we are descendants of that through that promise. The promise is the same, but this is a spiritual rendition, not a bloodline rendition. It's not physical, like many things were in the Old Testament. They were signs pointing us to what was to come. In the Old Testament, you did things physically, but they had spiritual ramifications. When they put the blood across the doorposts at Passover, right? That was a physical thing that they did, but it was pointing towards Christ, and him passing over us and our sins later on. Just things like that over and over and over again. Everything in the Old Testament points towards Christ. All of it. In the Old Testament, you had to be circumcised as proof that you were a descendant of Israel. And as I said, today, it's more about your heart. Has it been cut? Do you know that we are the true Israel through faith in Christ? We are Israel. When he talks about a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem and the city of Zion and that we're going to be a part of that. We are Israel. Now, there are some folks ethnically from Israel who are going to be there too. It says in Revelation that every tribe, every nation, every language, every culture, every little speck of every little blood cell from anybody anywhere around the world is going to be represented in heaven. Everyone. Somehow, some way, that message is getting to those folks in the remotest parts of the world where they say that there's unreached people groups. Guess what? Somebody's going to be reached in one of those groups, if not many. 
And we're going to have a little rendition here later when I'm done. You're going to hear from some different cultures and some different spots around the world. And I love that, that the message of Christ is making its way around the globe even as I speak. I just had a relative tell me uh, while I was home at a reunion that he did not feel worthy of God's love. So in my normal Rob self, I lovingly said, you're not. (laughs) None of us are worthy. That's the whole point. If you were worthy, you wouldn't need Christ. Right? Everybody sitting in here is unworthy. That's why we're sitting in here. (laughs) I don't come to church because I'm godly. I come because I'm not. All right, maybe it's just me, but... We're not worthy. He makes us worthy through his blood, period. And that's not a one-time shot, by the way. He made me worthy on the front end, and I appreciate that. He made me worthy this morning, too. He's going to make you and I worthy tomorrow as well. Not in and of ourselves. He's making us worthy. In and of ourselves, we would go nowhere. It says in Hebrews 11, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you're like, Lord, how did I get here? What happened? What series of decisions led me here? I've thought that twice in my life. Once was in Baghdad, Iraq, and the second time was in Pueblo. Every time I make a Pueblo joke, Kent Gordon's parents are right down front. But I think they're not here today, so I think I'm good. When you're not sure what you're doing and how you got there and what you're supposed to be doing and what the heck the Lord is doing, because remember, He's coming in late, do this. Go by what He's already told you in the black and white. He's already given you some direction, if not 99% of it. He doesn't necessarily say, all right, turn left or turn right. Sometimes He does. But often he just said, I just told you to turn left or right. And if you're walking with me, either of those decisions are good. Because you're walking with me. That's what it says in Isaiah. Whether you turn to the right or the left, doesn't matter. Walk with me. He goes, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. So you don't have to worry about that. I love that. Start with what God has already told you in the black and white. And 99% of your life is already figured out and you don't need to worry about what to do. It's not about buying houses and cars and should I get that jet ski or that RV, right? You can certainly pray about those things and I would, but that's not why we're here, folks. We're here to walk with the Lord and die. There. Now, if you don't feel encouraged, that was free. All right? (laughs) And if you're stuck and you're not sure what to do now because you haven't heard from the Lord in a while, here's principle number two to think about. Go by what he last told you. If you don't know what to do next, what did he tell you last? And if he hasn't changed his mind and he hasn't said anything new, then keep doing that. Right? I hate my job. I hate my life. I hate my boss. But the Lord told me to stick with it. And a week later, you're like, I still hate that person. It's not godly, by the way. But keep staying there. If he's telling you to stick with it, then stick with it until he tells you otherwise. I know that I had a cabin in an RV park I wanted to sell so bad. I could have, oh, 
in the name of the Lord. I could have slipped my wrist any other day. I just, oh, I couldn't take it anymore. And I, my wife and I got before the Lord and had some silent prayer. And he said to stick it out. And I'm like, no, Lord, that's not from you. <laughs> Even though we both got the same message. I wanted to do like Sarah did and kind of take it into my own hands and twist this thing up. A year later, I finally got rid of it. was six years total I got rid of my misery. It took six years. Sometimes God will get, relieve your pain in six minutes. Some of you have been going through pain for 20 years. It doesn't go away fast. It's on God's timetable. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Does that sound familiar? When you look at the analogies between Abraham and him offering up Isaac as a sacrifice, it is very similar to what God goes through with his son Jesus. Very similar. They both are, are, you know, when Abraham was bringing Isaac to the top of the mountain and his son says, hey, where's the sacrifice? And he's like, the Lord will provide it. Who's carrying the wood? Isaac. Who carried the cross to their own sacrifice? Jesus. And, and I mean, it goes on and on and on. I wasn't even looking for these comparisons. They just happened to stick out at me this time as I was going through this. I thought, this is awesome. So that begs the question. It says that he had embraced the promises. Are you embracing the promises of God? Do you have any promises that you're embracing? Has God told you anything? Or are you just fumbling along? Do you have something that you're holding on to? We were talking in class this morning about some of our wayward children and the things that they're doing that was not of the Lord. And yet some of the folks were holding on to the promise of God with things like if you train them in the way they should go when they're old, they won't turn from it. Holding on to that. Are you in the word enough to even know that God is speaking to you and that there's a promise for you to be holding on to? I guarantee you that God has something to say to each and every one of you, just like he does me. Sometimes it's very, very encouraging and loving. Other times it's kind of like an arrow between the eyes. It stings a little bit. But you know what? It's all love. Whether it stings or not, it's still love. It's still from the Father. And sometimes we get offended and hurt by other people who say things that might seem rude or harsh. They still can be from the Lord, even though it stings. Shoot, how many times have you been to the dentist and go, that was fun, right? You can be hurt without being harmed. Just because something hurts doesn't mean it's a bad thing. You can go to the dentist and get a tooth pulled. It hurts, but it's good for you. Amen? Embrace the promises of God. And if you don't have any, get some. He came to Abraham right off the bat. The scripture is chock full of promises. We need to find some and hang on to some of those. One or two, whatever it might be. It says in James 2.23, and the scripture was fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. All he did was believe God. That's exactly what the thief on the cross did. All he said was, remember me, Jesus. And Jesus said, okay, that's it. That's where we start. I'm not saying that's the only thing that you have to do in the Christian life, but that's what you're, where you start. If you want to be God's friend, believe what he has said to you. 
Believe what he has said about you. Remember, you have a name etched in stone in heaven. That's who you truly are. Not all of the stuff that we're doing here. Not all of the problems that we have and all of the sin and all of the stuff we're trying to get rid of. That's part of it. But he has a new name for us. We're going to be called to eternal glory and be where we truly belong. That's why there's songs on the radio today that are like, I'm not home yet. I'm getting there. We just need to remember that. It's written on stone. Lastly, is to act on it. If you believe something like Abraham did, Abraham didn't just believe God. He got up and went. So if you believe the Lord with what he's telling you, then act on it. Do something about it. Don't just sit there. That's what true faith is. You know, the demons believe in God too. They believe and it says they quake in their boots. Just believe in the existence of God and believing that I, I like to go to church and believe in this, that doesn't do nothing by itself. What matters is when you act on it. That's when the rubber meets the road. So let's do something about it. Maybe you're here today and God has poked you in the heart and you feel like acting on it. You want to respond. As the band plays this last song, we've got elders up front here. We've got other leaders in the church here that would love to pray with you. If God is telling you to act on that faith because you believe in the Lord, that's considered righteous. But if you want to act on that today, why don't you come on down as the band plays this last worship song. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who takes the initiation. You start the contract. You start the covenant. Lord, you do the things that you need us to do. You step forward first. And Father, you only ask that we say, okay, that we respond to what it is that you have for us. Would you help those here, Lord, who um, may have known you for a long time to step out in faith? And Lord, maybe if there's somebody here for the first time, that they would step out and just say, okay, to you and finally give up the reins of their life that they don't have control over anyway and let you have the control that is rightly yours as you orchestrate this entire scenario, Lord, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven where our names are written down. In your son's name we pray, amen.